Welcome to Patients at Risk, a discussion of the dangers that patients face when physicians are replaced with non-physician practitioners. Before we start the show, we'd like to give you a few words from our sponsor, Advice Media. Make no mistake, digital marketing is a science. Advice Media has created a proven roadmap that gets you from where your practice is now to where you want it to be. They call this their pyramid of success. Thousands of clients have proven that their six-stage approach is the optimal way for attracting new patients and retaining current ones. We get it. You're busy and don't have time to be a digital marketing expert. You have lives to change. Give them just 30 minutes to consult with you. They would bet you are doing some things really, really well, and there might be areas where you can improve. That's where they come in. Just for spending the time, they will give you a $60 Amazon gift card. You have nothing to lose. Book your consult today. Go to drpodcastnetwork.com forward slash advice media. That's drpodcastnetwork.com forward slash advice media. Now let's get back to the podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Rebecca Bernard, and I'm joined by my co-host and the co-author of our book, Patients at Risk, The Rise of the Nurse Practitioner and Physician Assistant in Healthcare, Dr. Naran Alajba. Good evening. We are so excited today to be joined by Eric Starkman. He's an investigative journalist. And he works to shed light on dangerous corporate healthcare practices. Mr. Starkman is relentless in exposing the work of bad actors in the medical industrial complex. And it's such an honor to have you here with us today. Honored to be here. The book was a great motivation. Thank you so much for writing about the book. We really appreciate it. And I wonder if we can just start out by having you tell our listeners about yourself and your background and how you became interested in corporate healthcare issues. Well, my background originally was journalism. When I graduated from journalism school, I worked at major newspapers in the U.S. and Canada. I realized it wasn't a business that I wanted to get old in. I transitioned to public relations, originally working for a couple of big companies. and was never comfortable in doing PR either, so I ended up starting my own. And I ran my own PR firm for 25 years and For a lot of reasons, I just had to get out of public relations. My plan was to, well, I actually did write a TV pilot. I haven't sold it yet, but that was my plan was to transition there, write about programs based on my experiences. As it happened, pandemic happened, and I got a call one day from a friend in Michigan, and we were just talking, and he mentioned in passing that his daughter was a nurse, and she worked at Beaumont Hospital, and Beaumont wasn't paying her nurses very much extra to work during the pandemic, and Henry Ford was paying you know, over $20. My friend owns Deadline Detroit. You know, It's a feisty online publication. He's a great guy, and I thought, yeah, that's an interesting story. You know, Beaumont caters to a, a much more affluent clientele. It's a bigger hospital. You know, they had a lot of world-class surgeons. And I, I just thought it was an interesting story that the poorer hospital was paying its nurses more. So that's what I set out to do. It was supposed to be a story. It would take me an hour. When I started to do the story, Beaumont ended up closing one of the hospitals that was designated to be a pandemic hospital to treat COVID patients. And I couldn't believe at the height of a pandemic, a hospital was closing one of its COVID hospitals. The reporter who broke it, she did a really good job. And you know, she said they closed the hospital and 
PR guy try to spin it. He said, we didn't close it. It's paused. You know, one thing I can educate your readers on, you can tell a lot about a company when they start talking in PR speak. You want to say it's paused, like uh, it's still closed. <laughs> you know, it's going to reopen. It's semantics. And it's just something didn't seem right. And I wrote one story and then people started approaching me because nobody had ever written about Beaumont critically. It's a big, powerful hospital, biggest hospital system in Michigan by some metrics and biggest employer in southeastern Michigan, or one of the biggest, not the biggest, but nobody had ever written about them critically. They had been under a really bad, oppressive management and people just came and approached me. As this happened, Beaumont decided to outsource its anesthesia to a very controversial company and that blew up the whole hospital. I was really touched by the dedication of the staff there. I mean, these are people that were committed to their communities. Most people who work at Beaumont are like real Michiganders. You know, they grew up there or they moved there because they want to be in Michigan. And the CEO, he's from Atlanta. He still owns his home in Atlanta. He has bought a vacation home in North Carolina. It's very clear where he's going to go. I just kept digging. And the more I dug, it got bigger and bigger. I always thought when I lived in New York City, the Wall Street was like the most corrupt industry. And then I moved to San Francisco and then I thought, you know, Silicon Valley might be the most corrupt. And then I stumbled on healthcare and it's like, oh my God. And one of the reasons healthcare is like corruption on steroids is because you got Wall Street influence. You've got that private equity influence that, as you know, wants to do away with all of you. They think that somebody can go online and study medicine and a couple of hours, okay, you can diagnose. So it's eye-opening. It was eye-opening to me. And I think it's a poor reflection on American society that this could even happen. I grew up in Canada, so I have a different view on healthcare to begin with. I never saw a medical bill until I moved to the United States. And it's changed since I lived in Canada, but I had access to great healthcare. Even in smaller towns, you could get great healthcare in Canada when I was growing up. I just think it's wrong. And I think that these MBAs that are running hospitals and using metrics it's just wrong. I read your book and you connected something to me that in my mind that I haven't appreciated before, that getting rid of doctors is one of the strategies that we don't need somebody with 15,000 hours of training. We could get somebody with a lot less training to do the job. So that's how I got into it. It just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And I find it quite disturbing. So since following Beaumont to its temporary pause or whatever they want to call it, how much pushback have you had from sort of larger media or even the hospitals themselves? This is an example also of why uh, local media is failing, because the local media stayed away from the story. Now, the cynical part of me is like Beaumont's an advertiser, but I don't know that that's it. I think it's newspapers today, the people who work at them, they're not tied to their community. You know, when I worked at the Toronto Star, we knew Toronto and they had a, a rule. You know, I was talking earlier about you know the importance of experience. You know, I was pretty cocky myself when I was younger and, and the Toronto Star used to have a rule. It's like, what's it mean to Metro? And Metro was Metropolitan Toronto and that's what we called it. 
you could have the biggest story in the world, and I'll give you an example. It might be apocryphal, but people told it all the time that there was once a big plane crash in India. It was international news, about 300 people killed on India jetliner. That wasn't good enough for the star. They had to send a reporter out to the Indian community. And they found somebody who had a cousin on the plane. And the headline in the Toronto Star was, cousin of Metro woman among 323 killed jetliner. And in those days, I thought that was very provincial. But that's why they were the dominant paper in Toronto. They outsold the other two papers combined. Local papers, young people today, they want about race. They want to write about gender issues. And people in their local communities what they want to know, like here in, in Los Angeles, we got a problem with coyotes. Well, you're not going to win a Pulitzer Prize writing about the proliferation of coyotes. Well, you possibly can if you're a really good reporter, you can turn any story into a big story. But you know, that's why the LA Times is losing $50 million a year. They got a bigger agenda. So the local papers, with the exception of the business paper, and they did it an okay job. They didn't hit them too hard, but it was respectable. And, you know, Crane's Detroit Business is actually one of the better local business dailies. But the, the other papers, they still haven't reported that a colonoscopy patient, somebody died undergoing a routine colonoscopy. That's the problem. That's why healthcare is deteriorating so badly. It's all a reflection of how poor the media is. You know, Eric, I'm so glad that you said that because I have to tell you that we've worked really hard to try to get some media attention on our book, on these stories. We have lots of other stories. And it's very difficult to find journalists that are willing to take it on. And so I think that's why we're just so thankful for what you're doing. And I just want to talk a little bit more about your Beaumont story because I think our listeners need to know how tenacious you were with this. Not only did you report on this story, but you actually wrote 39 articles over a series of about a year. And those columns questioned and raised the issue, brought attention to the forefront to the point where you got legislators that got on board with opposing this merger that wouldn't have been very good for the community. And of course, you got a lot of criticism. So some of the things the the CEO, Fox, of Beaumont said that you were a mud-slinging machine, only interested in the next bucket of mud and a psycho blogger. And and I'm, I only bring that up because Naran and I get a lot of those kind of comments too. And we're just so proud of anybody that speaks the truth and stands up, even though you get this, this kind of retaliation. Of course, it's because you're speaking the truth and they don't want that to be spoken. I'd like to address that. You know, the problem you're experiencing is that the media today has become a lagging indicator. The problem's unfolding, what's happening in healthcare. A few years from now, there's going to be a lot of people dying. Someone's going to wake up and they're going to do this story like, oh my God, do you know what they did? But that's after the fact. And I think good journalism is like warning people that this is happening before it happens, rather than say, let me give you a 10,000 word feature about how healthcare ended up the way it did. You know, it just doesn't do any good. What I find so frightening is that I've learned that hospitals aren't really regulated. And I'm sure you guys are familiar with the GPO issue, the group purchasing organizations. 
that reared its ugly head with Beaumont because their GPO had gotten them a rebate. I don't know if you saw that story. They got them a rebate. They used certain striker products, medical device products. They would get a rebate if they used them 75% of the time. Fortunately, at Beaumont, you know, the orthopods, are, they were ranked 11th best in the country. <laughs> so they're kind of feisty in their own right. and They refused. But did it even happen? And that it probably happens at other hospitals where, you know, surgeons don't have the courage to push back. That's what I've learned is that doctors are, have become employees and they function as employees. They are afraid to speak up and rightfully so. I just saw, I think it was an internist, but it might have been cardiologist that is suing in Indiana that the Indiana healthcare company there has such a monopoly that they can only refer patients within the monopoly. And you start making waves, you know, you get blackballed and you're, you're, you're out of business. And that's just wrong. Any kind of concentration of power, especially, you know, you're talking a lot of money in healthcare. That's a lot of money that's not being regulated and watched and letting these hospitals get bigger. You know, bigger is not better. And it's, there's study after study showing that when hospitals merge, quality of patient care goes down and costs go up. The only benefit to a hospital merger is to the CEO and to the investment bankers that can sell the deal. But there's no other benefit to anybody else. And so I, what I hear you saying, which is what I wanted to comment on, is essentially the way I look at hospitals is they're buying and selling. So they're even buying and selling human beings to a certain extent, you know, or services to those human beings, right? So like you said, if they pick striker products, that there was this backward, this kickback or benefit. And then they own the physician, so to speak, as well. And they own their voice. They take, they strip them of like every ability or power that they have and kind of tell them what to do. And so I've kind of come to the conclusion because this has gone on in my hometown as well. It's been taken over by a monopoly that the answer is really putting the power in the hands of the people to a certain extent and educating them. But you're the investigative journalist. So I guess my question to you would be, how do we change this or help people be more aware of what's going on? Well, I think your book is great for a start. There's a real problem in America is that country's been dumbed down. I saw a story, it was in Kansas, Overland, Kansas. I don't know if you guys saw it, that it was the KKR company that provides emergency room physicians. And some physician sued them for not staffing properly. And he won like $25 million. And the reporter just wrote the story straight. Here's a doctor that won $25 million for understaffing the hospital for an emergency room. And it's like, are you kidding me? Well, if they were understaffed, what about the emergencies that came in? Somebody comes in in a car accident, there's only one doctor, and the reporter didn't think to follow up. And he didn't think to follow up. Well, why are they outsourcing the emergency doctors? And, you know, it's the quality of journalism in this country has really gone down, particularly on the local level. The other problem is that people just have become inured to wrongdoing. Just every day they read about another dishonest company, another dishonest CEO, and the people that our government's very weak. And Michigan is a warning sign about how low it can go. Michigan's leadership, and to think that Governor Whitmer almost was named vice president, and the reason she was named almost named vice president is Joe Biden saw her on TV and thought, oh, she's really good on TV. You know, she allowed Beaumont 
to do nothing. Dana Nessel, the attorney general, allowed it to go go down. Oman owns a hospital that's got a very high Medicare patient indigence. That happens to be Debbie Dingles and Rashida Tlaib's district. But they got bigger fish to fry. And it's like really tragedy. I mean, a, a community is defined by its hospitals and its schools. That reflects the values of a community. In southeastern Michigan, they let a guy from Atlanta come in and destroy. I mean, Beaumont in its day, I mean, when you talk about like the Cleveland Clinic or Anderson, you wouldn't put Beaumont in that category. But they actually had some surgeons that could have gone to those hospitals if they wanted to. The anesthesia at Beaumont was always first rate. In fact, one of the former heads of the American Society of Anesthesia worked at Beaumont. It had really rigorous standards. Now, if you lived in southeastern Michigan, you didn't have to go to Ann Arbor. You know, University of Michigan hospitals, pretty well known. And then you have Cleveland Clinic, which is only three hours away. But you didn't have to go there. You could get quality, top-flight quality care at Beaumont. I think you're you're speaking to the point that is so true that these community hospitals are now being taken over by these huge conglomerates that really don't have that much interest in the community or the patients or the physicians or the nurses. They are interested in making money for themselves and for shareholders in many cases. And I have to tell you that your point of that it's really hard for people to stand up to this injustice. It resonates so much with me. And I, when I read the article that you wrote, which was why I'm passionate about covering the destruction of Beaumont Health, you wrote, being a team player in corporate America signifies a willingness to toe the company line and ignore wrongdoing and hypocrisy. I prefer to die standing than to live on my knees. And I got to tell you, that just gave me goosebumps because there's not a lot of people that have that. I mean, they may have the integrity, but they aren't able to have that kind of conviction and stand up for what's right. Why are you so brave? What, what, how can we learn from you, those of us that are listening, to stand up for what's right? Well, one is I'm not in the healthcare industry, so there's not much. They can't blackball me because I don't want to work in healthcare. So they can't harm me that way. I've always been kind of an iconoclast. My parents were very ethical people. I just grew up thinking that's the way the world is. You know, my dad, I can tell you great stories about my dad. He was a senior partner at an accounting firm. He was also religious, but he didn't have a religious side and a business side. He believed that ethics, the ethics that you heard in synagogue had to be lived in your everyday life. There wasn't like, well, I can do this in business and then I go and tell the world how religious I am, how pious I am. So I came from that. I've always been a little fearless, and that's why I went into journalism. You know, it was just the natural for me. I just love that so much. And I think we need more fearless people like you who are willing to speak out. You know, Naran and I are able to speak out even though we're in healthcare because we own ourselves, we own our own practices. And so really the worst people can do is, you know, write nasty things about us on the internet and send us mean emails, which they do. But it's okay because we aren't able to really be fired by our, you know, we just work for ourselves. And I think that's a really important message for physicians and nurses and healthcare professionals that are listening out there that when you're owned by a corporation, unfortunately, that may mean that you can't speak out. So either 
decide that that's going to be okay. Although I guess there are whistleblowers that like you pointed out that are suing organizations. But unfortunately, I also hear stories of people suing and not winning or uh, getting blackballed and things like that. So it is the reality, but it's all the more a reason why it's good for people not to, if they can avoid the joining these huge conglomerates and either joining small practices or owning themselves. So one thing I'll share with you as an observation is that There is a very definite trend right now for nurses to unionize. And I've actually been following this. Every case I've looked at, every incident, patient safety is their number one concern about staffing levels. And they have become almost like the conscience of the healthcare industry because they see it every day. They see the cost cutting. They know they're stretched too thin. They know they're going to make mistakes. I think you've talked about that in your book, if I remember correctly. In Beaumont, they got no, in Michigan, they got no support. None of the local, not one politician lent support. And interestingly enough, Beaumont's flagship hospital is in Royal Oak, which is Andy Levin's district. And Andy Levin was, you know, down in Alabama trying to help organize the Amazon workers, but offered no support for the healthcare workers in his own community. But that's not true of all communities. In Portland, the city, I mean, I was really impressed. The, the main government put out a statement, the Democratic leaders, like it was unequivocal, like we don't like what's happening. We stand with the nurses. Few people have stood by, there's a big strike going on now in Worcester, Mass. A couple of politicians have lent support, but Elizabeth Warren, you'd expect, would be out there. No, she sent some letters saying, hopefully the hospital will go back to the negotiating table. But I thought that was pretty way. I will tell you, the politicians are useless. We have been at this for a number of years. And on almost every podcast, I end up saying sort of, I've given up on the politicians. I've given up on the government. I've given up on the hospitals. I've given up to a certain extent on a lot of the doctors too, because I think the employed ones just have to follow along. So it's the people. That's it. That's my that's my last resort and not my last, but my best resort. We have to tell people how to protect themselves. I think that's the thing, you know, which is why we're grateful to you because you're helping us do that because regular people read your read your blog, read your information. But that's it. I mean, I, I just don't think the Elizabeth Warrens understand the problem. I don't think they care about the problem. And I think their pockets are padded by those hospitals and those hospitals say they're doing good. And that's it. But tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> The reason I'm laughing is like I recently posted something about the American Hospital Association. I said that really should be renamed. I I put some thought into it. I I, I can't remember exactly what I said, but the uh, organization for increasing the compensation of hospital CEOs. I mean, that's and, and they're so deceptive, too. Somebody sent me from the Michigan Hospital Association. You know, they got a solicitation to support people innocently think, hey, if I support the Michigan Hospital Association, I'm doing good by hospitals. And like the former chairman of the Michigan Hospital Association was the CEO of Beaumont. <laughs> you know, it's like and you hit it, hit the nail on the head. You know, the American Hospital Association is a major contributor to lobbyists in Washington and to politicians. And and they're major. That's why 
politicians like, yeah, yeah, it's, you know, you would expect that Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders or somebody out there would be taking up this cause, but they don't, you know, and they talk about taxing the rich. Well, why don't we address like how the rich got rich? You know, it's like, instead of like taxing them after the fact, why don't we talk about how they got the money in the first place? And, and that's what's wrong. And, you know, regarding the political parties, when it comes to the issue that we talk a lot about, which is the replacement of physicians, really both parties, uh, neither party is addressing that. And to be honest with you, there really are no books or really no real good literature out there as a healthcare health policy critique addressing this issue. You can read an American sickness. You can read, I mean, we scoured all the current literature uh, critiquing the American healthcare system and not a word spoken about the growth of non-physician practitioners, which is why we really appreciate you uh, shedding light on the issue by sharing our book and I really liked a few things that you wrote in the article, which you called the uh, rise of the MD light, which I really like that. He also said he had a great idea from his PR background, which is that doctors should maybe create our own little logo that says, you know, there's a real doctor under here. I love like the, the real Intel doctor logo. underneath logo. That's fantastic. We might have to hire you for our PR, Eric. Uh, I'm quite passionate. And what I'm disappointed in, I don't know the politics of the American Medical Association, but your book should be in the waiting room of every doctor, every family practice guy and woman in the country. It should be like right there. Um, I wish. <laughs> and it should be on the AMA's website. This is an example of when you like let PR people do your branding. So the physician assistants, they want to now call, they hired a firm and they call it a branding firm. It was actually a PR firm. And they probably paid like, as much as like 500000 for this to come up with the name Physician Associate. And frankly, I don't think there's that much of a difference. You know, maybe associate, okay, but obviously it's not a physician. But like the response that the AMA gave to that was so lame. I would have given a response that said something to the effect was that our tolerance with physician assistants and nurse practitioners trying to fashion themselves as doctors has worn thin. They want to they want to provide the quality of care that doctors provide and let them go to medical school. You know, something like that, and and they would have dropped it because the one thing that. They didn't anticipate, and maybe correctly so, that the AMA or the physicians might come back with a vengeance. Like, this might wake up the industry. Like, do we really want to test it? And I thought the AMA response was very lame. And I think doctors are making a mistake, you know, particularly anesthesiologists. Like, why anybody would go into anesthesiology today? And, and I've got a fondness for anesthesiologists, by the way. I've gotten to know them, a lot of people. And I think you mentioned you had Dr. Uh, Cyber, Dr. yeah, Karen. Yeah, mm -hmm. she's like, she's one she, of the, She's amazing. Yeah, and she's not afraid to speak up. And, she's brave. Um, and, you know, the great thing about anesthesiologists is that they basically were so good that they put themselves like, at risk. You know, you, yeah, she says that they're a victim of their own success right, because, uh, in safety. Right, because it used to be anesthesiology was, you know, was more riskier than the actual surgery. And they got the safety record down and near. Nobody thinks the anesthesiologist is, is, is where the risk is. But you guys touched on it. You know, you used the same analogy that I was using. 
So great minds think alike. You know, the airplane analogy, you know, you get on a plane today, you know, that all of us could probably learn to fly a plane within six months. You know, just to basically get it up and get it down, it's all, you're basically just reading the instruments. But when those instruments go faulty, you got to know how to bring down the plane the old-fashioned way. The miracle with uh, the U.S. Air Flight, you know, in the East River was that that guy was a veteran military pilot. He knew how to fly planes under extreme circumstances. You know, pilots today don't come out of the military anymore, the commercial pilots. It's, it's the same with anesthesiology. It's like when something goes wrong, you need Captain Scully to... Yeah, we we totally agree with that. And I think what makes it so difficult is that people don't realize, they see all these studies saying that the non-physicians are just as good as physicians. But what many people don't realize, and I think many physicians, because we didn't really know this until we did research, was that every single well-done study and really any study that has shown purported to show equivalency has always been done when these individuals are practicing under physician supervision. So that's them flying the the plane with Captain Sully right next to them. You don't know how they would do without Captain Sully next to them. Uh, we would only assume they probably wouldn't do as well just because they don't have that same experience. In fact, you know, you brought something up that's really critical. When they he was brought up at a hearing questioning, I think it was the decision to land in the water as opposed to try to make it to the airport. And using their calculations, it was based on a decision he had already made. I, I can't do justice, but like in their investigation, they they used his expertise that they had because he used it. And then when they realized that they didn't have that knowledge, it would have been a very different outcome. So, you know, we're on the same page. You know, I think relying on media, you know, the media is a lagging indicator. I think you have to, you know, the great thing about today is that you can create your own content and you can market your own content. I, I think you got to do it on a community by community level. And I think you got to find people like yourselves in individual communities to and develop a training program. So people, like, you know, going out to church meetings and just say, like, this is what's happening to our hospital. And I think nurses are a great ally. I've seen a lot of guys, especially at Beaumont, particularly the nurse anesthetists. They are tough. I think they eat nails for breakfast. And <laughs> they speak out. You know, they, they sounded the alarm about the outsourcing firm. I, I just give them so much credit. You know, they played the outsourcing firm CEO. They, they played him pretty well. Like, he was threatening them. If they didn't sign up right away, he was just going to hire other people. So they went and signed. And on the first day of their contract, they went and filed for a union organization. As you guys know, it's like that's one thing hospitals don't want is unions. So. Well, you know, I think that's a whole nother conversation that I would love to have. And unfortunately, we're out of our time. I'd love to talk more with you. I so, so appreciate everything that you've done. And we thank you for promoting our book and for all your work in exposing corporate healthcare problems. And I'm going to encourage, of course, everyone that's listening to learn more, please get our book. It's called Patients at Risk, The Rise of the Nurse Practitioner and Physician Assistant in Healthcare. It's available at Amazon and at Barnes and Noble. We'd love for you to join our group, Physicians for Patient Protection. Of course, please like our and listen to our podcast and our YouTube channel. It's called Patients at Risk. One last thing before we go, remember Advice Media? 
Don't forget to schedule a consult with them to receive a $60 gift card and strategic insight on what your current digital marketing is doing or not doing for you. Contact Advice Media at drpodcastnetwork.com forward slash advice media. Again, that's drpodcastnetwork.com forward slash advice media. Thanks so much, and we'll see you on the next podcast. <music>